have your Bible, you can turn to John 14. We'll get there in a little bit. I must confess, um, we're going to be bouncing around a lot today. So if you like the Bible, today's the day. Um, I do want to say this to, uh, it's really fitting what we're talking about today with World Vision here. And I would highly recommend you joining that meeting and doing whatever their plan is to run a marathon because I attempted to run one in 2011 and I ended up in the hospital. So don't do what I did, come to the meeting. And I feel like I have to do it because I didn't finish. Um, and I'll tell the story maybe another day. Don't run it too fast, that's what I did. I was eager and I thought I was gonna be good and turns out I'm not. So anyways, uh, today we're continuing our series uh, talking about the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit reveals, I think is the title. We've been talking about, we went through the creed, and we've been spending a few weeks on the Holy Spirit, because I think if we're honest, we're like, I know, I know some things about the Holy Spirit. You know, I was thinking about this week and thinking, if, Jesus, if the Father and the Son and the Spirit were like a family, which I guess they are, so we don't have to pretend that, but let's say they were three brothers. I feel like God the Father is the older brother. He is good at sports. He knows all the rules, right? He's pretty good looking. And then Jesus is like the younger brother who ends up being taller than the whole family. And you're kind of like, how's he going to turn out? But he ends up being like really good looking, really smart. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. And then the Holy Spirit's like the middle brother who is kind of like doing all the work all the time. And he doesn't get a ton of credit for it, you know. This is not a perfect example, so don't quote me on this. But I feel like the Holy Spirit just kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. And so just want to clear things up. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, in case we missed that. Um, he is eternal with God and Jesus. He didn't show up for the first time in Acts when the Holy Spirit gets poured in the church. He's been around the whole time uh, before Genesis after Revelation, the Spirit's there. So we kind of got that all figured out. That was easy, right? Um, but we have some other stuff we need to talk about. What does the Holy Spirit do? He reveals. What does He reveal, right? I think sometimes we tend to think of, and I'll just say it, maybe it's just me, but I was almost taught like the Holy Spirit is a little bit almost like a magic eight ball. You guys remember those things? I always wanted one, and my parents would never get me one. I think they thought it was like witchcraft or something, but you know, you think, we think about questions and we need direction on it. So we're like, gosh, should I ask that girl out? And you're like, and it's like all signs point to no. And you're like, oh my gosh, good thing I didn't do it. Or should I take this job? And you're shaking that thing and it says uh, no. And then you keep shaking it until you get yes. You know, we kind of, we want the Holy Spirit to guide us. We kind of want him just to like affirm whatever we want to do. Um, and sometimes we really just think of the Holy Spirit, I think, as hey, I, I don't know what to do, and I just need you to tell me what to do. I know I've been like that, and I'm not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't want to do those things. The Holy Spirit cares who you marry. He cares what kind of job you take. He cares what we do with our finances. He, he cares about those things, and I think he wants to guide us, but sometimes these questions we ask the Spirit are so about us. What do I do? How do I spend? How do I? And, and it's not that that's not important. I just don't think that's it. I think there's something bigger happening here than um, just things that have to do with our, our regular things. So we have to ask, what kind of guiding does the Holy Spirit really do? How is he really leading the church, and how is he revealing? So I want to suggest that 
the Holy Spirit is operating at a pretty high level, right? He's working in the church globally, if we can even wrap our minds around that. And at this very moment, he is within you, speaking to you. I mean, that's a mystery. That's incredible. And he's doing something on this earth that I want to try to get into today. And I think it's compelling, and I think it's worth talking about. So if you turn to John chapter 14 at verse 26, in, in John 14 through 16, Jesus talks a ton about the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to read that this afternoon or this week. But in verse 26, this is what Jesus says. But the advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything I have said to you. So, I was just saying that, you know, the Holy Spirit's not here just to tell us exactly what to do, although there's moments when I'm grateful that he does, because we certainly need that. But Jesus says, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to teach you something. He's not just going to tell you what to do all the time. He's going to teach you something. And we have a lot of teachers in this room, I think, a lot of really good teachers. And so the question is, what do teachers do? Right? They teach concepts and formulas and ways of thinking, abilities, teach us abilities, how to problem solve, and probably a host of, a ton of other things, teachers, don't be offended. Um, and at early levels, you know, maybe early elementary, you're really, like, this is exactly how you need to do this, right? There's not a lot of wiggle room, you're really, but as you grow, teaching becomes more you're learning disciplines that you then can apply to other things. Does that make sense? So I didn't learn how to read and write just to pass a test, though that was helpful. I learned ultimately so that I could communicate, so that somebody could write me something and I could understand what the words mean, and then I could write back and actually say something. There's a bigger, there's something bigger at stake, if that kind of makes sense. It's not just to pass a test. We're supposed to be growing the Holy Spirit's going to teach us something, ways to live maybe. In Hebrews chapter 5, the author of Hebrews says this, and it'll be on the screen. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Now, the, the author is kind of uh, challenging some early Christians, and they were not growing in the way that they should. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And he's kind of like, kind of offensive. He's really going at it. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So there's more teaching happening. The author of Hebrews saying, hey, you're supposed to be learning something, and you're not. And because of that, you're not able to distinguish good from evil. And if you start thinking about what Jesus says and John, about the Holy Spirit, I would suggest that it's the Holy Spirit who, start, who becomes our teacher. It's the Holy Spirit who is teaching us ultimately how to distinguish good from evil. And I want to make this kind of claim, this is kind of my thesis or my whatever, my big point here today. It's that the Holy Spirit is teaching the church at every level what this good is that the writer of Hebrews is talking about and how to pursue it. So the Holy Spirit is revealing God's goodness on this earth. And you're like, great, that doesn't sound that complicated. <laughs> and I would say it is that simple, and yet it is incredibly complicated to try to live some of this stuff out. So we kind of have to review a little bit of where we've been, because for the last few weeks we were talking about 
the resurrection of the body and eternal life and life everlasting. And my mind has been swimming with this stuff. I don't know about you guys, but this has been an incredible series to try to wrap your mind around. Well, the Holy Spirit is revealing God's new creation. We've been singing about it all this morning. I'm not even sure if we caught it. The Holy Spirit is revealing God's new creation. It's important because the resurrection has changed everything. Jesus rises from the dead, which is awesome, and then he ascends to heaven. The Holy Spirit gets poured out in the church, and it's not an accident that those things are very, very connected. Remember, last time I preached, I talked about the first fruits. I'm sure nobody remembers, but we talked about the first fruits of the resurrection, how that gives us great hope. The kingdom of God is being established through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. It's incredible. Which means that when the Holy Spirit gets poured out, something's happening, and they call it new creation. And if you don't believe me, check out this verse in 2 Corinthians. Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. He doesn't say, hey, if you're in Christ, the new is going to come, the old might leave, and the new is going to be here in 500 years. Like, it's very definitive. Paul is like this guy who's like, this is what it is, and you're like, man, pretty bold to say that. The new is here. So when Jesus resurrected from the dead, pours out the Holy Spirit, this is new creation. Like, it's happening. That's incredible. I'm looking at everyone's faces like... (laughs) Let me try to explain something to you. You have, in Jesus' worldview, you have, you have the present age. This is the world as it is. Okay, try to follow me. You have the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, eternal life, whatever you want to call it. Jesus raises from the dead and pours out the Holy Spirit. And now the two are overlapping. The kingdom of God is here. And as Reformed people, we believe that. We're all about kingdom. New creation has started, but here's the, here's the issue. This present world's still here too, right? Have you guys seen evil in this world? Have you seen greed and, and these things and hate and these things? We see that, we're like, that's wicked. But you've also seen goodness. You've seen forgiveness. You've seen grace. You've seen miracles. That's God's kingdom. They're both happening at the same time, so it's kind of confusing. And I would suggest... The Holy Spirit is ushering, revealing that new kingdom right in front of us. That's astounding to really think about if you try to wrap your head around it. The Spirit is really teaching us how to live in God's new creation. He's teaching us what goodness really looks like. So he's teaching us, hey, these are the things that are, that are important to my kingdom. These kinds of values matter. Not these old ones. And when you start to wrap your head around that, Paul makes a lot more sense. So Paul, we love Paul. Paul writes lists all the time, right? Do you have any list makers out here? I know I got one in the front, Mr. List Maker. Paul writes lists, but some of them are really bad. Have you guys seen some of these lists Paul writes? They're like all the things you shouldn't do and you don't go to heaven lists. And you're just praying, I hope something I did yesterday is not on the list. So he writes one of these in Galatians 5. I usually avoid them, but... um, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, idolatry, witchcraft. You're like, okay, I think I've I've been faithful. I know I'm not a witch, so I'm like, I'm pretty good so far, right? Hatred, Hmm. 
discord. Jealousy probably fits of rage for sure. Um, and then you realize, gosh, this is my life, right? And then he says at the end of this, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you're like, I always heard that growing up as, well, if you do any of these things at any point in your life, you're not going to heaven. But that's not what he says. He says, hey, if you, you live like this, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying, these are not the kind of things that are going to exist in God's kingdom. God's kingdom, the life everlasting, those things are too low. Like, they're not even good enough. Why waste your time living like that when the Holy Spirit is revealing God's new creation that's so much better? So yeah, you've gone after these things, but why? They're, they're like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're uh, distortions of God's good thing. So why keep going after them when you don't have to? See, because those things are not going to exist in the life to come. So why waste our time? And the Holy Spirit is directing us away from those things and towards some other things that we're going to get into in a minute. And like I said, he's trying to direct us toward good or goodness, which is kind of a vague term. And at some point you say, Danny, that's great, but what the heck does good mean? What is good? How do we define good? And I would suggest that the Holy Spirit reveals the good which glorifies God and blesses others. So God has a ton to say about goodness. If you were to do like a search on it, you'd find that good shows up 610 times in the Bible. Shows up way more than salvation, way more than mercy, way more than grace. God has a ton to say about what it means to be good. And so does Jesus. There's a rich ruler who comes to Jesus in Matthew 19. And he says this to Jesus, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life or to get into the kingdom of God, the thing we've been talking about? And Jesus answers with a question, which is great, such a power move. Why do, you, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. So the guy says, hey, what's good? And Jesus says, there's only one who is good. So to start to understand good and the good that the Holy Spirit's inviting us into well, we have to figure out what good is. And apparently good's a person, and his name is God. God is the foundation for us understanding goodness. Goodness can't be based on me. It can't be based on you, although you guys are amazing people, but you're fallen just like I am. It has to be built on something sure. It has to be built on God himself. And the scriptures are really clear that God is good. I mean, Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 105, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good. I mean, I could have listed 50 passages. Another interesting one is in his Exodus 33, do you remember Moses asked God, he's like, I want to see you. I want to see you, God. So God hides him in the cleft of the rock. And when God passes by, it says God reveals his goodness to Moses, which is interesting. God is identifying with good. It is part of his character. So our understanding of, of good finds itself in God. And so we have to ask, well, what are the kinds of things that God does? And there's a ton of things, and I wish we had time. But I will take you back to Genesis 1, because pretty much every answer is found in Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, we see the Spirit of God, right? We talked about the Holy Spirit's been there the whole time. Holy Spirit's there, hovering over the primordial waters of the earth. And then God creates. And that word good is used seven different times in that passage. And it's an incredible story of how the earth and people and everything here get created. And you have to ask yourself, why does God create? 
does God create just for himself? Does he create for another reason? I would suggest that God's creation is for us. He's creating for something other than himself. He's creating so that we can find pleasure in him. So his goodness is finding itself being expressed outward, right? It's not just for him. It's not selfish. It's for the sake of others. Does that kind of make sense? He's doing this not just for himself. What helps us start to make sense of goodness. There's another really powerful, challenging definition of good as we start to ask, well, what is good? In Micah 6, 8, it says this. Has, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. So here's your definition. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Goodness is justice, mercy, and walking humbly before God. So there's two parts to goodness. It's forward-facing, right? Justice and mercy are things we extend to people, right? I seek justice for people. I offer somebody mercy. Walking humbly before God is vertical. So these, like, these two components, right? Something's going up, something's going out. Something's going up, something's going out. And this makes sense because Jesus has asked something similar. Hey, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And he says something very similar, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a definition of goodness in different words. There's something vertical, there's something going out. So our goodness, we can say, I'm acting good and I love God, but if I don't extend it this way, then we're not really being fully good. And if we just do nice things for people, but we don't walk humbly before our God, we have a problem too. It has to go kind of both ways, which is difficult, I admit. We do all of that, we do all of that really to get to this point. What does God, what does good look like in God's new creation? So I'm taking a long way to get to a question, and I hope it makes sense, because if the Holy Spirit is revealing God's kingdom through the Holy Spirit, and and it's good, now that we've defined what good is and who good is, then we can say, well, gosh, what does this look like for us, for you and me? What does this look like for us? So I want to suggest that the Holy Spirit is teaching us to think and live differently in God's new creation. He's going to change our minds, and he's going to change, ultimately, our actions in God's new world. So let's talk about thinking first. The Spirit leads us to new ways of thinking. And man, we need new ways of thinking, that's for sure. I know I do. This is what Paul says in Philippians, near the end of his letter. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put into practice, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. He's saying, you need to start thinking about different things because the Holy Spirit's in you. You have to change the way that you think. You've got to think about things that are pure and right and admirable and lovely and pray. Like you need to meditate on those things. You need to focus on those things. You need to spend time thinking about that and not fill in the blank. 
not worrying about this, not going on the ESPN app and checking whatever, right? <laughs> if the Lakers finally got someone good, newsflash, they didn't. Um, whatever it is, right? It's, it's an attention thing. Our minds have to start being transformed, so we have to actually start to focus. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to direct us towards these things, and he spells them out just in case we weren't clear. If it doesn't fit on this list, don't think about it. I mean, it's a really interesting thing. You, you get lost in the thought. Put it in this list. You're like, oh, it doesn't say anything about, you know, having anxiety. Okay, we'll try to let that go. Or, you know, comparing yourself to your brother. Nope, it's not on the list, right? I mean, these become kind of simple tests to help us filter through. And we have to change our thinking because thinking comes before doing, right? Or if it doesn't, <laughs> I mean, some of us do things before we think, right? And how that doesn't end up well, right? So we got to get it right. And this is the same thing Paul says in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed by the pattern of this world or the present age, but be transformed by re the renewing of your mind, which is through the Spirit. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So as our minds are transformed by this Holy Spirit that's been poured out, we start to distinguish the good God is doing, his perfect will, and we're able to move into that as our minds are changed. And ultimately, that's going to lead to new ways of living. The Spirit leads us to new ways of living. And we've read this a few times recently, but in Galatians 5, Paul says this about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So whoever, so those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So when we start to think as our minds are transformed, then we get called into values that are different. Things like love and patience and peace and self-control. We start to actually act these things out, which is a difficult process if we're honest. We start to act these things out. We start to ask questions like, do the things that we participate in create more love, more joy, more peace, etc., for myself and others? Right? So the, do the things I do help promote more of this? or not. That's challenging for me. I know you guys have it good, but for me, this is a little bit difficult. And if not, if something I'm doing does not help that, am I willing to let the Holy Spirit redirect me? Because these are the things that are going to exist in God's kingdom eternally. These are the things that are in the kingdom of heaven. So if I'm doing things and living in a way that's not in line with that, well, why? That's not God's best for me. That's not God's best for other people. And ultimately, this really starts to come into play with this kind of last point, which is this. The Spirit leads us towards others. So the Spirit is always pushing us out. So let me give you a few examples. God pursues other people. We see this all throughout Scripture, 
right? God calls the people of Israel. He develops his people. He makes them a kingdom of priests, and he delivers them through the exodus, and he's moving and shaking and doing his thing, you know, for other people to bless them so that they would ultimately bless the world. And even when you read through the Old Testament, you realize God is not just working with the Israelites. He's healing and moving all sorts of people who are on the margins of society and entire nations. And ultimately, you see promises in the scriptures that all of the nations are going to bow before God one day. They will call him God. God is going after other people. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it. And then Jesus does the same thing but in more kind of specific ways. He takes on the mission of his father when he's here on earth. And he pursues other people. Check this out. This is just a list I made really quick. During his ministry on earth, Jesus pursues traitors, zealots, widows, orphans, prostitutes, foreigners, lepers, the demon-possessed, kings, teachers, children, priests, and everybody in between. There's a lot of people on that list that I don't pursue if I'm honest. The Spirit led Jesus to everyone. There is no one that was off Jesus' list. And in fact, people comment about it, like, hey, how come you're doing that? People don't like Jesus' list. They're uncomfortable with it. How come you're spending time with the sinners, you know? And he's like, because I want to. I mean, whatever. I don't know what his response was, but it was good. He's going after everybody, and it's offending everybody. So if you offend a, a few people, you know, you might be on the right track, uh, depending on what it is. See, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's being revealed shows zero favoritism. The Spirit shows zero favoritism. Isn't that amazing? That's why we can all be in this room together. We all look different. Some of us speak different languages. We think differently. And yet we're all one in Jesus. That's amazing. See, the Spirit has no favoritism. The Spirit is leading us forward toward the good of all people. Listen to this. Regardless of who they are, where they come from, what they believe, whatever their political views are, are what team they cheer for. He's not concerned about those things in the same way that we are. Jesus is going, af going after Republicans and Democrats, if we could believe it. I know, it's shocking, right? He's going after Clippers fans and Laker fans. He's going after people in this country and in countries we go to war with. You know why? Because this whole world is his. In fact, the whole cosmos is his. He is going after all of it. It's us who aren't going after all of it, if we're honest. And I am saying this to myself, church. I show favoritism. I don't go after all the people that Jesus went after. I judge people on ways I shouldn't, if I'm honest. And I want the Holy Spirit to change my heart so that I can live into his good creation. Because I want the things I do with my life to matter. I want them to last into God's good kingdom. I don't want everything about my life to be burned up because it was part of this present age. What a waste that would be.
And I hope this is challenging to us. Because God's working in ways that we're not always comfortable with. Right? And sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's like it's time to get off the couch and run a marathon. Right? Sometimes it's letting the Holy Spirit teach you about new things. Because God's doing something big. And Paul really lays out what I think is a beautiful picture of what the new creation that the Holy Spirit's revealing. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to this. This is Romans chapter 12. It'll be on the screen as well. We're going to start at verse 9. I want to say this. You can read it or, or even close your eyes and listen. This is such an incredible picture of what new creation is. If you want to know what it is, this is going to be it. See, Paul believed that the Holy Spirit was redeeming the world and that God's kingdom had started, which is why he writes this. Listen to this. We've heard this before. Really listen to it. Starting at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. He doesn't say hate people who do evil. He says hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another, another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is what the kingdom looks like. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with most people. I'm just kidding. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by this present age, but overcome this present age by helping the Holy Spirit usher in the kingdom of God. This is such a beautiful passage of Scripture. What if we did this? <laughs> I'm, not, I mean, I'm not laughing because it's funny. What if we actually tried to do this? And some of us are. But what if we really, as a community, tried to live into some of these things? <clears throat> I want to leave you with a question. A question to consider. Will the things that I invest my time energy, and strength in exist in the life to come. So, do I think greed is going to exist in God's eternal kingdom? I would hope we would say no. So I should probably move to not live like that now because God's kingdom has started. 
um, do I think that people will have a hard time getting clean water in God's perfect kingdom? No. So I should start getting involved in that now because God's kingdom has already started through the Holy Spirit. I should start ending that now. It's going to help me figure out where I invest my time, my energy, my strength. I might actually run a marathon to help get clean water because I think there's going to be clean water in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see how this, like, understanding this can really transform how you start to think? Do, I think there's going to be a ton of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness in God's kingdom. So I should start being generous with those things now. You guys see what I'm doing here? <laughs> it's a powerful thing to consider. I mean, what if we asked ourselves this question every day when we got up? I want to do whatever the thing, instead of going to the magic eight ball, what if I said, Holy Spirit, help me to invest my time, energy, and strength into the things that are going to be eternal? What if I did that? Which means, gosh, I might have to seek some justice for people and mercy. And I mean to talk to some people who don't look like me. And I might need to slow down and listen more. I might have to actually run, which is going to be really difficult, um, or whatever it is. What if we ask those questions? That's what we're being invited into. That's what the Holy Spirit is revealing. And so I, I really encourage you to think about this question. Because the things that we do really do matter. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we could get into your word. We thank you that you are <laughs> changing the world through us. And forgive us for the times when we don't take that seriously. When we forget to see the goodness that you're doing on this earth. God, we ask forgiveness for the times that we don't show justice, we don't show mercy, we don't show forgiveness. We don't extend enough grace. Jesus, we believe that your kingdom is going to be abounding in love, grace, and mercy. So we want to be people who are so generous with those things. We want to be people that get involved um, in things that help bring your kingdom. Things like bringing clean water to places or doing missions trips to help share the gospel. Whatever it might be, God, I pray that you would ignite our hearts to invest in the kinds of things that are eternal. And God, and for the things that are not, I pray that you would reveal those things to us and that you would change our mind about those so that ultimately our actions would be changed. Father, we thank you for your scriptures that are so faithful to reveal yourself to us. We thank you that though it can be hard to understand, your kingdom is actually here right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.